All the Cool Parts podcast is brought to you by classical guitar luthier Tomas Barobia, maker of the cutting-edge triple-core composite top classical guitar. Powerful volume, world-class tone, and exceptional playability all in one guitar. For more information and free sound samples, visit his website at www.latticeguitar.com. This is All the Cool Parts number 23 for December 11th, 2010. Hey everybody, welcome back to All the Cool Parts. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman. This week on All the Cool Parts, the California Guitar Trio. That was, of course, the famous Toccata and Fugue in D minor of Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, performed by the California Guitar Trio in a live performance there from Bloomington, Indiana, uh, from September of 2010 that I actually attended, and that's how I got the recording of that. Uh, just a total aside, there's one really super cool thing that they're doing at their concerts if you go see the California Guitar Trio live which I highly recommend that you do. What they're doing now is they're recording the concert live as it happens, and then after the concert's over, you can go to their merchandise table, and they have a big CD-burning tower there at the table, and they will burn CDs of the concert that you just witnessed. So you can take a CD of the concert that you just saw home with you, and the quality, the recording quality, as you just heard, is really awesome. So that's a, a super cool thing, something I've never seen in a live show before. Uh, and that's where that com- came from. And I'm going to play a couple more tracks from that concert while we're talking to them. And on this episode, I was lucky enough to be able to interview two of the members of the California Guitar Trio uh, those being Bert Loms, who I interviewed 
before, um, and we talked about his fantastic box CD called Nascent. And uh, we also have uh, Paul Richards on the show as well. And uh, the third member of the California Guitar Trio being Hideo Maria, uh, who unfortunately couldn't be at the interview because it was probably about two or three in the morning in Japan when we did the interview. Um, So we thought we'd let the guy get some sleep. But uh, we were lucky enough to get to talk to Paul and Bert. And what we talked about was the classical music that the California Guitar Trio has done over the years. And uh, if you haven't listened to much or, or any of this group at all, and you go through their CD collection, you'll quickly realize that these guys are not bound by genre. So they're not strictly a classical music ensemble that only do classical music. They do really wide range of stuff. I mean, from classical music to blues to soundtrack music to jazz to um, surf music to rock music. I mean, just they just do whatever they like um, and they do it all incredibly well. Um, But don't let their genre jumping fool you. These guys are as tight and as good as any classical music ensemble that's out there right now. And um, I wanted to do this show because the classical music that they've done has really kind of spread out over their entire... They've never really done one album that's all classical music. It's um, it's spread out over their entire output. And I wanted to do a show that really highlighted um, the classical music that they've, that they've done over the past 20 years. And that's what we've done on this show. Um, so uh, just I'll just uh, let it go to the interview. I think um, we really cover a lot, you know, uh, who the classical guitar trio are and where they came from and how they came to be and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So um, get ready for a really cool interview um, with Paul Richards and Bert Loms of the California Guitar Trio. Okay, we are here with Paul Richards and Bert Loms of the California Guitar Trio. And um, I can actually pronounce Bert's last name correctly this time. Uh, <laughs> last time I didn't. Um, Hello, Anthony. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thank you for hey. uh, for coming on the show. Uh, I've been a fan of you guys for a long time. On the, on the last uh, show where I had Bert on, I, I won't go through the story again, but I told the story of when I saw you guys for the first time um, in 1995 in the Warfield Theater in San Francisco, opening for King Crimson. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That yes, was... Those were some very special shows, and I remember those shows at the Warfield in particular, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a really cool, really, like I told Bert, a really unexpected um, opener, you know? I mean, you guys weren't on the bill, um, and uh, it was just really cool and really unexpected, and and I was really blown away by it. Um, And uh, you guys have now spent 20 years playing together. Yes. Just about our uh, 20th anniversary will be the the official what we call our 20th anniversary will be on February 7th which uh, of of 
2011. That is our first, uh, the anniversary of our first public performance together that occurred in Los Angeles back in 1991. So we use that as our official date for our beginning, our first public performance. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really impressive milestone, 20 years um, to be together with, uh, you know, three people and you all still like each other. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's awesome. Um, and uh, I encourage um, everybody to go to uh, the website cgtrio.com and <clears throat> read about um, all you guys' uh, you know accomplishments and recordings and everything. Um, a- another thing, that, a cool thing to check out on your website is your blogs, and um, I really encourage everyone to go to. Paul's blog, and uh, this is a total aside, but um, and look at the, your photographs. They're awesome. The, these yeah, photo- well, we, we were in some really amazing places on this last tour, so I was lucky to be in the, the right place at the right time. Yeah, well, I mean, it takes some skill to get those shots, so um, yeah, it's it's really worth uh, going to check out. Uh, read the blog and uh, look at the pictures. Uh, they're really awesome. And um, let's talk just a little bit about um, how you guys formed the group's formation. I know you guys formed out of uh, Robert Fripp's guitar craft course. Can you talk a little bit about your um, individual background in guitar and how it brought you to guitar craft? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I started playing guitar around 13 or 14, and I took a few guitar lessons back then, but didn't really have a a great teacher until I was around uh, 18 or 19. Before that, I learned a lot by playing along with records from Led Zeppelin and Rush, and uh, did a a lot of uh, playing by just... Uh, by ear, by learning to play along with my favorite favorite guitar players. And mm-hmm. then I, when I was 18 and 19, I met a guitar player by the name of Don Ayers. And when I sat down on my first guitar lesson with him, he had uh, a cassette tape uh, that was the, the King Crimson Discipline. And one of the first things that he played for me was the tune called Discipline. And I was familiar with King Crimson before that because my older brothers had some of their early albums. But hearing that album, Discipline, started a, a whole new interest for me in that, that band. And, and during some of our guitar lessons, we worked on in some of the pieces from that album. So there, there was a big interest for me in uh, Robert Fripp's guitar playing and... and uh, and that that music was very influential for me at that time period. And then Robert started giving these guitar craft seminars in 1985, and my guitar teacher read about the these courses in a uh, I think it was Guitar Player magazine. And he applied, and he went on one of the very first courses. I think he went on the number four course. And when he came back he told me that I should go 
And so I applied for one of the courses, and I went on the, I think it was the 12th or 13th course that was held. And these were courses held in near Washington, D.C., in a retreat center near Charleston, Charlestown, West Virginia. And so that was really my introduction to studying with Robert with this uh, one-week-long course that was held at this retreat center. And at the time, I had been uh, playing guitar with the University of Utah Jazz Guitar Ensemble, and I really enjoyed that, and I learned a lot from that. But when I arrived on the guitar craft course, I knew I was in the, the right place, and that was the right place for me to be. So I just continued to go on as many guitar craft courses as I could, and then was invited to go to England, where Robert had a house in the English countryside. The house was called the Red Lion House, and Robert had invited uh, some of the students to come and live and work and study there together. And so I was one of the, the people that was fortunate enough to be invited there. And it was during that time that I met Hideo and also Bert. Uh, that was September of 1987. September, October, somewhere in there. Does that sound right, Bert? Yeah, I met you. Uh, I remember the first time meeting you actually in uh, uh, Switzerland. In Switzerland. In yeah. Switzerland. Yeah, so, I remember uh, actually meeting you because Paul uh, Robert was walking somewhere with me, and we passed you, and he he uh, he corrected your right hand technique while he was. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was so I was sitting practicing at the. Yeah, yeah. So that we were uh, during the time when we were in England at the Red Lion House. Robert was also doing these one week long introductory courses in other parts of Europe, and so what Bert's talking about is there was a course held in Switzerland, and the, a number of us from the house in England were invited to come along to be the staff on this guitar course in Switzerland. So I went along with Robert to Switzerland, and Bert was also invited. Bert was living in Belgium at the time, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and so so that's right. The, the first time I met Bert was actually in Switzerland, and then Bert, a few weeks later, Bert came to the Red Line House for a visit, and that's when we first started playing gu guitar together. There was a special project that was held I think that in October of 87, where we did a recording, of the League of Crafty Guitarists recording, and Bert was invited for that. And I, I, if I remember right, that was the, the first time we actually played together um, as the, the League was on that. Maybe we did some playing together in Switzerland, too. Yeah, we gave a performance. Were you part of that performance? I'm sure I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, for the for the listeners... Uh, just for their benefit, the League of Crafty Guitarists was kind of—I don't know—the all-star group from this from these courses, I guess, right? Well, all-star is probably being a bit uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, because there it was actually it, it was there were so many different levels of players and so many different people that were on these courses. It it often was who was there at that time. And yeah. it wasn't always necessarily the best players. It was no. very interesting how Robert would choose the performance team. 
and it was I, Bert and I were always lucky that we were included, but the there it was not necessarily always the greatest players on that. But it, it the the thing that made it interesting was be, having so many different levels of players. We had to find a way to play all together, and the music was incredibly complex. So that the people that may not have been as uh, good uh, players were we found well, a way it, to include everybody. Well, it was all about playing, you know, being able to to distinguish where what you really can play. And if you only can play uh, the first note of every bar, uh, you can play that with presence and in time and, and you know, in, in the group as a, as a member of the group, then you're in the team. That was basically it. Instead of trying to play complex parts and not really having a nice, uh, not, not being able to play them. So, in fact, we had during one tour, there was one guy uh, from Germany, a very good friend of ours called Martin Schutke, and he was part of the performance team, but he uh, he just contributed silence to the team. So he sat in the performance team and he did not play at all. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a good player, mind you, he was a really good player, but that was that was his contribution to that one particular tour. So there was all these kind of strange, strange little factors. Uh, of you know how how people how Robert would include people uh, that were just you know the right energy for the group really instead of uh, the best players. Right. So mm-hmm. the focus was on playing together as a group. It, it wasn't necessarily on on who can play the best or the fastest or anything like that. It was the assembling a group of guitars. So it was kind of like a guitar orchestra. There was maybe anywhere from twelve to. 30 guitar players in the, the League of Crafty Guitarists and the the really the focus was on playing together as a group and being a, uh, aware of your individual contribution to the, the group and how what you do affects the, the rest of the group and that was an underlying theme throughout these courses and continues to be you know what what do I do? You know what I'm doing in this moment right now. How does that contribute to what's happening around me within the group while we're playing and while we're just being together, working together? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's it's almost more philosophy is a big word, but it's it's it, kind of the philosophy behind the the guitar craft courses was had much more to do with that than than. Uh, being the fastest player or something like right. that. <clears throat> right, right. And um, it sounds like this kind of really <laughs> focused group uh, ensemble kind of training, uh, I would think that it would have made this all this classical stuff that you guys do possible because um, <laughs> you have to be so tight um, uh, ensemble-wise to do a lot of this music yeah yeah that was a big contribution and i i think that's a good segue into bert's background which has also to do with the the classical pieces yeah yeah my my background was very in a way it was very my introduction actually to the guitar craft courses and to paul and here was very similar to paul's story uh i was you know playing guitar uh, during high school, in my any free time I had, I was playing guitar and teaching myself how to play guitar by emulating mostly blues uh, 
uh, guitarists. Uh, and, and then later on, the hard rock guitarists and Jimi Hendrix and so forth. But those were dif more difficult to emulate. But when I finished high school, I just wanted to keep playing guitar. And uh, I didn't, I was more most interested in playing electric guitar. And uh, I wasn't as lucky as Paul to have a good instructor uh, that could, you know, show me uh, the things that I was interested in with electric guitar. So my only choice was after high school was to study, go and study the classical guitar in which I had no experience at all because I played electric. So uh, I started from scratch and uh, was very lucky to find a good teacher after a year or so. And she was really tough and really uh, a great uh, inspiration too because she, she really motivated me uh, and taught me the discipline on how to practice uh, guitar. And so I did that for six years. And after the six years, I graduated from the conservatory in Brussels. And uh, I'm, in retrospect, I'm really happy I did that because it did give me a, a total different perspective on, on you know, the whole guitar repertoire and on oh, my yeah. own playing and all that. Uh, it was a total different technique too because I, I had to learn how to play finger style. And then uh, I got in touch with, you know, I was teaching at the time and uh, found out about these guitar craft courses in a similar way as Paul through a, an ad in a, in a guitar magazine. And uh, I, I just simply applied and, and uh, got on a plane and went, went to the States and did the seminars and the rest is, is history. Okay. And uh, before we move on to the music, I just wanted to... Um have you guys talk a little bit about the musical sort of uh, overall musical philosophy of the California guitar trio when you're choosing music to play? Because, you know, I mean, this show is kind of a classical music, you know, retrospective mm -hmm. of what you guys have done, but that's really just a very small part of what you guys do. And um, yeah, I don't just any thoughts on, you know, how, how you approach, how you pick your music or the philosophy behind it. Well, we, we all three come from, from different uh, backgrounds and cultural backgrounds. You know, Hideo being Japanese, Paul being from the States, and me being from Europe. And uh, when when we got together, I think one of the minor reasons probably why we got together is also our uh, common interest in all kinds of music, not just, uh, you know, was at the time not just the guitar craft repertoire, which most of the other players in the team were only interested in in, uh, in pursuing that. And uh, I think the three of us had a feeling that there's there's much more music out there to explore. And when we started out as a trio, uh, the obvious thing for me was to reach back to what I had learned before and where I came from and bring that in the trio. And that was... Uh, mostly, you know, pieces by Bach or, or some classical music that I had heard before and that resonated. And I felt, uh, you know, that would be great to play with a trio. And then Paul and Hideo brought in their their respective, you know, influences of music from, you know, which was it's really rich. You know, Hideo being from Japan, for instance, he's been bringing in uh, traditional koto music. He's been composing pieces or arranging pieces that... Uh, none of us would have ever thought of uh, ever playing, uh, and uh, and same for Paul. You know, being from from the states and having this background in in rock music and, and having that in his culture, so that combined together made made for a real special thing. Well, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. What 
that what I think what Bert is saying about the we had a, a common interest in a wide variety of music, and one of those common interests was definitely classical music. I remember in England on that first uh, long course and on the, in the fall of 1987 when Bert was at, at Redline House for, for a visit, uh, we usually took one day off a week, and on that day off, most of us would usually go out for some sightseeing or something in the English countryside and then usually go to the pub and have a few drinks. And uh, I, I remember that Bert was practicing on his day off. You know, we'd been practicing all week and then Bert still wanted to practice more on his day <laughs> off. But he, his practicing was he was playing some of the Bach cello suites. And I remember very distinctly coming home from the pub and uh, sitting on the the floor in the 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 uh, what was kind of the living room area, and Bert was in there pra- playing one of these Bach cello suites, and I remember being so touched by by that, and he, and really moved me, and and I think that's one of the the things that sparked my interest mm-hmm. in playing with Bert, and and we became friends soon after that. So the the classical music has always been. A, a big part of uh, what we uh, what we've done from the very beginning. I, I think right when we first got together and first started playing music together as the trio, the first some of the first pieces of music that we worked on, where there was the Bach uh, Ricercari from the musical mm-hmm. offering. Mm-hmm. I, I remember and, that was one of the very first challenges that we set for mm-hmm. ourselves was to play that piece. Well, and I think that's also connected to where we were at that time. So that music that we played with with the League of Crafty Guitarists was very, very abstract music. It was very uh, angular and abstract music. And uh, the the music from Bach, in a way, has a kind of similar uh, feel to it. it it's not. It, it's very abstract music in a way. And and it was I was very interested in all that counterpoint and stuff and uh, that. That kind of led up to those pieces. It, it, to me, it, it, I felt like it, it took it a step further, and uh, you know that was kind of the start with the trio. And we, we along the way, you know, things happened. Like we starting to write our own pieces. Uh, Hideo came up with some some very funny surf music ideas, and <laughs> we started playing some surf tunes. And there were suddenly a sense of humor came in, into our music, which was a, a I think which was our uh, key factor to our success is that uh, it, it wasn't all too serious anymore. There was some element of humor that came into our music. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think one thing that uh, listeners should realize, and I think is an important point to bring up about you guys, is that in my view, you're kind of r- really true 21st century musicians because. Uh, most of the people I'll talk about on this show, they're classical musicians only. You know, they're they're uh, amazing musicians, but they'll do classical music, and that's it. Um, you guys, mm-hmm. really, there's no genre boundary with you guys, right? And um, you know, I think that's a, a very special thing and a very uh, contemporary thing. You know, to this to the time that we live in. Um, and uh, so this is going to 
kind of a segue in, you know, uh, you guys have been talking about stuff you've learned uh, through Guitar Craft. And uh, our first, the first excerpt that I'm going to play is from the Prelude Circulation. And um, I think you guys would agree that this wouldn't have been possible without Guitar Craft. Um, you know, right. uh, the, uh, the piece is the prelude from uh, Johann Sebastian Bach's Prelude Fugue and Allegro BWV 998. Um, and uh, if you guys, if, if you, you listeners actually want to hear the original of this, uh, you can go back and listen to All the Cool Parts number one, where I um, presented a CD by Paul Galbraith. He plays this in the, mm-hmm. you know, the traditional way. Uh, this version is done in circulation, and this is a technique that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you learned at GuitarCraft. Right, yeah. The guitar, yeah. On the GuitarCraft courses, one of the very first exercises that Robert presented to us, with, we would sit in a, a big circle of guitar players, and on my first course there was about 30 guitar players, and Robert gave the instruction to play one note and pass the note to your right. So each person would play a note, and the note would go around the circle, and it made it so that each person, it was necessary for them to listen to the whole group in order to be able to play their one note and be able to to pay attention and, and hear the notes coming to you and so you you had to be present and um, it it gets even more in depth than that as well that um, if you read some of Robert Fripp's writings about this he talks about circulation about also the the passing of energy that we it, along with the note we also pass our our individual state and it where mm-hmm. The, this is a much more subtle thing. We've used, we've turned it into a, a much more musical thing. And, and on this particular prelude circulation, Bert plays the first note, I play the second, and Hideo plays the third. And it's it took us a long time to be able to do this well. I remember mm-hmm. when we first started playing this, we <laughs> were doing some concerts with Robert Fripp, actually. We did a soundscape tour where we were trading sets with Robert. Robert was playing his atmospheric, ambient soundscapes. He would play for 15 or 20 minutes, and then we would play a set for 15 or 20 minutes. And on these, I think this is back in 93 or so, mm-hmm. and this was around the time we just started playing this. And I remember there were several consecutive nights that I forgot where I, I, I dropped out. So it was just instead of having this, triplet, you know, ding, 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 ding. It suddenly became ding, 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 with the nose missing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, and then soon, and then soon the other player would drop out. Ding, ding, and the ding dives out. <laughs> and that's the end of the piece. <laughs> so it, it was a big challenge, and it took us many years, actually, to be able to, to be able to, to play this well. And, and over the years of continuing to play it, it's developed some new dynamics. And I think this version that you have there is a live version. That If you listen to that version compared to uh, our earlier recorded version, 
it the the live versions that we're playing now have much more dynamics and flow uh musical flow yeah. within the piece yeah and um i i, I really uh I, you know i've played this recording this particular recording um th- yes this is the live version from uh bloomington indiana september 15th 2010 mm-hmm. which i was at that's where i got the cd okay and, great and uh um i played this you know for classical music friends of mine and people that are some of them world-class performers that have recorded like big cds for major classical labels others are you know doctors that are professors in universities and stuff i mean they're all across the board like blown away by this technique like i can't express enough um what an incredible feat of ensemble playing this is even for the tightest classical ensemble out there would be (laughs) really envious of this um and uh, I, I like this recording. Well, like you said, um, that it's uh, got a lot of dynamic, a lot of flow, a lot of feeling. And really, if you listen to it in headphones or with, you know, good speakers, you can really hear you guys. You know, you've got um, Bert over in the right speaker, uh, Paul's in the center, and Hideo's over on the left. And you can really, you know, almost feel it, you know, the, the line passing from right mm-hmm. to left. That's uh, really cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, anything else you guys want to say about this before I play it? Bird. No, no. Okay, so here it is, the uh, Prelude Circulation BWV 998 from Live Concert in Bloomington, Indiana from September 15th, 2010. <laughs> Thank you. 
we just heard the prelude circulation, and we're going to move from that. Um, I I organized these excerpts because they all come from a you know a bunch of your different records, and uh, so I arranged them kind of in chronological order of the pieces. Uh, so we start with Bach, and um, we're going to do another piece of Bach that you kind of started to talk about earlier. His uh, Ricercare from uh, the musical offering BWV 1079. And uh, I just wanted to give a little bit of background on this piece first, because it's a really interesting story that goes along with this whole work. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, written in 1747 uh, towards the end of Bach's life. And the story goes that his son, Carl uh, Philip Emanuel, was working for Frederick II of Prussia and he called his dad to come visit him because Frederick had these brand new inventions that he wanted his dad to try, which was the piano. And um, so Bach came out to try these new pianos. And Frederick, you know, knowing uh, the old Bach's reputation, uh, gave Bach this subject, this fugue subject, this crazy uh super uh you know just just really complicated and chromatic subject and he gave it to Bach and said you know could you improvise a, th- a three voice fugue on this subject and so Bach did and then he asked him to improvise a six voice fugue on the spot and um i think to kind of say okay if you're so badass then do this um, Bach, <laughs> Bach, this was a, even a little bit of a tall order for Bach. So Bach said, let me take this home, work it out, and I'll send it back to you. So what Bach did was he, he took this back with him to Leipzig, and he didn't just write the six-voice fugue. He wrote this entire compendium of pieces in pretty much every contrapuntal style known at the time. Uh, using this subject and it was called a musical offering and uh, one uh, interesting thing about this piece that it's called a ricercare ricercare um, which was kind of an old kind of old fashioned form during this time you know when Bach wrote this Uh, the reason that he titled these ricercare is because in the opening uh, dedication he wrote in Latin, Regis Iusu Cantio et Reliqua Canonica Arte Resoluta, which meant uh, the theme given by the king with additions resolved in canonic style. But if you look at the inscription, the first letters of every word, Regis Iusu Cantio et Reliqua mm-hmm. Canonica Arte Resoluta, spell out Risercar. Um, mm-hmm. So Bach, you know, just loved these kind of games. I can just imagine yeah. him getting this like subject and being so giddy with the the uh, you know the challenge of doing this. Um, well, if you if you look at the the word Richard Carr, it's uh, uh, it contain it means research, uh, recherche in French. So that's probably where the the meaning of the word came from. It's kind of like a uh, well a study, you know, really yeah, search, yeah. For, yeah. Yeah, so um, you mentioned that this was the first kind of uh, piece like this that you guys, you know, endeavored to do. As far as I remember, I think this was the first Bach piece that we tackled 
with the, the, the trio. Guitar trio. Yes, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, and um, I don't know how how did you guys you know why why this piece? Bert Bert chose yeah, it. It's Bert's well, fault. I I heard this. I heard a, a harpsichord version of this when I lived in Belgium, uh, in in the early. I think this was in '89 or so, and I I always loved the the kind of weird stuff from Bach, the kind of darker chromatic stuff. And this one just jumped in my face when when it, when I put on that CD. Oh, this yeah. one, along with with uh, Richard Carr for six, you know, the six part that you just mentioned, which I. I also transcribed, and we, we also actually ended up playing that one with a team on one of the guitar craft courses. But this one, uh, you know, because it was so weird. <laughs> I liked it. So I said, let's let's do this. Let's try that. I, I just like to do stuff that resonates with me, and I, I don't always think of like, oh, this would be a great arrangement or that. I just when something really feels like uh, it makes me come alive, then I want. I just want to play it. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And that was the same reaction I had the first time I heard this. You know, the the recording I heard was a harpsichord, and even when you hear it on the harpsichord, the subject, you know, it sounds even more harsh, you know, than it <laughs> than it is. Yes. And I'm like, whoa, is this Schoenberg? Like, what is this? But uh, <laughs> yeah. well, I think it was also a really good challenge for yes. us in the very beginning of our playing together as a trio, as a high benchmark to say, if we can play this piece well, then then we're doing well. That I, and I remember very distinctly in our first few months together when we were going out and playing gigs in Los Angeles, playing this piece, and it was very <laughs> challenging. And we would be in these little coffee shops. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe... Maybe nobody listening, or maybe a couple of people listening. And we're trying to play this yeah, yeah. <laughs> chromatic. <laughs> that is it, that is brave. It, that is. It was brave. a great experience, though. It was very good for us. <laughs> and then I'm we sure. ended up playing our actually our very first big public performance was in New York City with uh, uh, John Schaefer. He had a, uh, a show where he invited Robert Fripp to play on and. Robert kind of passed this one on to us and gave us a chance to to play. So Robert was there with us, but he didn't play. He did kind of part of the interview with John Schaefer. And then we had our first public concert, not in a coffee shop this time, but in front of a thousand people in New York City. And uh, we played this piece. And uh, there was there was quite a performance. That you remember yeah. that? Paul? Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, well, let's let the listeners hear it. So this is uh, your uh, performance of, and what, what album was this from? Yamanashi Blues, right? Yamanashi. Yeah, yeah. so this is our, from our first album. And the other thing that I'd like to add in here is about how the, the harpsichord was very similar in a way to the steel string guitars. We were playing ovation guitars mm-hmm. at the time, and the, the steel strings plucked with the guitar pick and those particular guitars had a very harpsichord-ish sound to them and that was one of the other things I think that we liked about it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh I agree totally Um, so here it is uh, excerpt from Richard Carre from Box Musical Offering BWV 1079 
I'm not even going to try to sing that subject. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, give it a try, Tony. You dun, can do it. Dun, 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 dun. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so um, the next we're going to hear you guys' recording of Yezu Joy of Man's Desiring, um, uh, obviously another piece by Bach. And this is from your Christmas album, which I saw on Facebook the other day is Bert's favorite, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was one of my yeah. favorite. I, I think in retrospect, you know, it's it, you know all all the CGT albums are you know are, are great, but this one I have uh, very fond memories of recording this this whole album in a very short time, and also actually it was uh, probably one of our first self-produced albums. too. I remember mixing it with Paul and and the sound engineer in Salt Lake, and and just the whole process of this CD was. Was uh, was really special uh, in a way. You know, it, it was my favorite CGT experience. If I have to sum up a CGT experience, uh, that's my favorite. It's that one. It's a recording of the Christmas album. And who is the oboe player? Uh, uh, saxophone is. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, is, okay. It's saxophone. A, it's Bill Jansen from Denver, Colorado, and. Uh, my brother-in-law Roger Lamson from Salt Lake, Utah, uh, and they re- they were there at the recording session with us and and played their parts along with us. Uh, you know, you mentioned on the last uh, excerpt, you know, the harpsichord aspect of the guitars, <clears throat> and on this one, man, it really sounds like a harpsichord. Um, just a very beautiful, uh, reverberated sort of pure sound on the guitars. And again, yeah, well, it's a. Just, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say again, it's a circulation, yeah, right? It's that's a circulation indeed. And for this this whole album, we used the, uh, as far as I remember, we used a reverb unit by Eventide, and it has a setting in there that it it is like it gives you the impression of kind of like being inside the instrument. You know, I don't know if you ever put your head inside a harpsichord or a piano when it's playing. It's really loud, Mm -hmm. but you hear the sound of the box, like when you play a note and it stops, it's still kind of singing in the box. And and guitars, as you know, do that a little bit, but the sound box is so small that it's really nice to use a a unit that, uh, you know, makes the guitars reverberate in a nice way. And this one unit that we used at the time uh, really did an, a superb job at, at making that resonation, that re- resonance of the guitars, like, you know, sound like a harpsichord or something. It's what it's called a swept reverb. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, anything uh, you want to add? And I'll just, this, this piece really, you know, I think just, it kind of speaks for itself, but um, do you want to add oh, anything? Oh, oh, we have uh, Trey Gunn playing on this Indeed, one. Indeed, yes. Trey Gunn Very plays good. the bass parts on uh, touch guitar. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that low end you're hearing is from Trey Gunn from King Crimson. Yes. And is he playing on a war guitar? Uh, this might be around the time when he started playing war guitar. He, he also played Chapman Stick for many years, and I... I don't remember if this was before or after he made the transition. Okay. And uh, I will definitely talk more about this um, in a couple excerpts, but (laughs) uh, I'll just play uh, uh, this Yezu Joy of Man's Desiring from the California Guitar Trio Christmas album. 
We just heard Yezu Joy of Man's Desiring, and our next excerpt is going to be from the Chromatic Fugue, from the um, Chromatic Fantasy and Fugue of Bach, BWV 903. Um, anything you guys want to say about uh, about recording this one? I, I remember that we were often playing this piece uh in the same concerts that we were doing the Ricciacari. So mm-hmm. I, I remember there was a lot of chromatic stuff. Here's another one. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a little bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of chromatic. Yeah, I guess that's my kind of my, you know, in the beginning of the trio, I, I think I brought those things in because they, you know, they they had some kind of weird sound, and they they just kind of took something really far. And and I loved I loved the, the three, and they were so easy to arrange. And and actually, I didn't have to arrange them; I just had to transcribe the parts, and we just play the stuff. And uh, uh, so that kind of I guess came from me those those kind of pieces, and they were pretty serious and and, and stuff. So it was kind of cool when when Hideo and Paul brought in their own things just soon after to lighten up things a little bit because it, it did become all pretty dark and heavy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, um, and you guys were playing these in coffee shops and stuff. I would think that yeah. it would, it would uh, actually help to be all hopped up on coffee. To play this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and, uh, you know, a little bit about this piece. I mean, we, you know, we hear it today and it's still, I mean, it's, it's super complex, you know, uh, so many, uh, lines, very, very contrapuntal and chromatic. Um, but a lot of the things we hear in the piece, you know, where it, uh, we have these little chromatic, uh, lines, we have these shifts of, uh, you know, tonalities and stuff. And a lot of this stuff just sort of glosses over us now. You know, we sort of hear these modulations and we're like, you know, so what? But, um, you know, in box time, one of the reasons he wrote this piece uh, was because he was trying to, kind of desperately trying to uh, get people to use well temperament in their instruments. This is a, a tuning system. And before this, you know, the tuning systems were sort of mean tone tuning or Pythagorean or or any of these things where uh, the the instruments were tuned to where uh, a few keys would be in tune, but other keys would be way out of tune. So if you were playing something in C major, you couldn't just shift to, say, F sharp major because the F sharp major would be completely out of tune. Uh, And Bach was developing this well temperament, which meant that you could play in all 12 keys uh, you know, without retuning the instrument. And so um, one of the reasons he wrote this was to show people, you know, look, I can go from, you know, this key to this key in this, you know, using this system of tuning. And um, uh, so that was a, a really important thing for the time and really for our music that we play today. You know, uh, people don't realize how indebted we are to Bach for making it possible, you know, that we can play in these all these different keys at the same time. Um, and, uh, I also wanted to mention that you can also hear a version of the fantasy on this, um, on the, uh, Robert Fripp string quintet album, Bridge Between. Yeah. I, I, is it played by Trey Gunn? Is that right? Trey Gunn on Chapman stick. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> that's a really cool version of, uh, the fantasy, uh, that precedes this fugue. 
Um, so anything else you guys want to say about it before I play it? Well, they, I remember this. But it, this is also from our Yamanashi Blues album, which is our first first album, and it's probably one of the most complicated pieces we've ever played. The, definitely in the top five or top ten of, of mm-hmm. all time, got most complicated pieces CGT has ever played. And when we were starting the recording process in Bert's house in Los Angeles, this was the the first piece that we sat down to record and uh, I remember saying if we can or, or maybe Bert said, actually said if we can get a good version recorded version of this piece then then we can continue on and ha- and hopefully have a, a good recording but, but I, I really remember this being what the, do you mean a good recording uh, if we could play this well yeah. If we could make a, a good recording of this piece that mm-hmm. that was good enough to release, then yeah. we could you know continue making this recording. I remember recording this in the spare bedroom at at your house mm-hmm. in on Bronson Avenue, mm-hmm. and uh, it was so complicated. I think we had to divide it up into two sections in order to be able to play all the way through it without messing it up when we recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and this excerpt that I pulled is, uh, it's kind of the middle, uh, from the middle of the piece. And I just okay. love this, uh, kind of, I don't know, um, playful, uh, I'm talking about them, just this, this excerpt, just this playful, uh, mood that you guys give this piece, um, that, that the listeners will hear. And, um, so, I'll just go ahead and play it. Um, this is the uh, Chromatic Fugue from their album Yamanashi Blues, BW, uh, BWV903. Okay, so we just heard the Chromatic Fugue BWV903, and uh, we're going to move on to our last Bach excerpt, 
And uh, this is the Passacaglia in C minor BWV 582 from the Robert Fripp String Quintet album Bridge Between. And um, this is really another one of those pieces, kind of like we talked about, Bert, the last time, you know, we did uh, your interview with the Chacon. You know, this is another one of those kind of pieces, you know, one of those kind of huge seminal pieces that musicians sort of really test themselves by. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, anything you guys want to say about doing this one? Well, th- this piece was written for, you know, for the organ. So the, the, the challenge with this one was, you know, it, it has very quiet passages and then in the end it gets huge. So yeah. uh, when I, I did, it was for me the same thing and I just love this piece. Maybe if I'd have to pick one, one Bach piece for the trio. This this one actually might be my one of my all time favorites. But uh, just it was just a strong uh, uh, wish to play this piece again, and even with almost unovercomable obstacles, especially the end has, has been really hard to to make that work in an arrangement because the the organ you know pulls out all the stops in the end, and uh, you can't really do that on a guitar unless you use distortion pedals. So we tried all kinds of things, but we ended up just using a clean sound on the guitars. But then we started playing with the Robert Fripp String Quintet. Robert invited us to, to join him on these tours, and it was the obvious choice because if someone can pull out the stops, it's Robert. <laughs> no pun intended, yeah. <laughs> pulling out yeah, the yeah, stops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember playing this live in Los Angeles, and... We, we uh, would start out with the trio playing with the the clean acoustic sound, and then when Robert and Trey you know kick in at the end, I, I have some really great memories. Some some of my best <clears throat> favorite uh, moments performing live were with Robert and Trey coming in with full distortion on <laughs> on that that finale with uh, of, of this piece. It just really amazing. Yeah, and uh, you know some classical music purists, you know, might hear this and uh, you know turn up their nose at it or whatever. Sure. But I would totally argue that this is absolutely in the spirit of the piece because, like Bert said, you know, this piece is for organ originally, and organ, you know, has all these stops with all these different sounds, and there's nothing in the score that says. Okay, you know, you're supposed to use this stop here and then you use this stop here. You know, it's it's up to the organist completely um, to figure out, you know, what sounds, what timbres they're going to use in, you know, different sections of the piece. Uh, and uh, that's exactly what you guys did here. Uh, you know, the only way to get more volume out of an organ is to add more sounds. Or that's where that that's where that. Um, saying comes from pull out all the stops that that comes from the organs that's the only way to add volume is to pull out more stops and um that's what you guys do at the end what you say you know you add uh trey gunn and robert fripp and they're playing with this distortion on their instruments and it's exactly what an organist would do exactly um so this this excerpt you know yeah go ahead yeah, I'm sorry. Also, I wanted to point out that this was a live recording from a concert that we did in England with the quintet. So uh, the, 
I'd say, you know, the, the quality of the recording isn't that great, you know, the sound of the guitars in particular, but nevertheless, the the quality of the music really comes across, I think, through, through the recording. <laughs> I think you're being a bit hard on yourself, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this uh, this excerpt starts about a third of the way through the piece, and it actually starts with, again, with a, a circul- small section in a circulation. And yeah. um, and mm-hmm. then continues to the end. So, you know, you guys will, will be able to hear, you know, how you guys really build this up to this huge climax at the end. Very exciting. This is, this is my favorite piece on that album, on the Robert mm-hmm. Fripp String Quintet mm-hmm. album. Okay, so let's hear it. Pasquale in C minor, BWV 582. We're moving ahead here to an excerpt from Beethoven, uh, Symphony Number no. Five, his Allegro con Brio. Uh, of course, you know, super famous piece, um, and uh, really, uh, you know, we get into a, a territory here that's um, the Bach. You know, is it's not so uh, unusual. It doesn't sound um, so different. You know, to hear it on the guitars because your guitars have such a harpsichord like sound, and, and it's it's not such a a weird mm-hmm. port. You know, but um, yeah. this is so different. You know, you're taking this uh, orchestral piece of of Beethoven and reducing it down to three guitars. Um, how did you guys, you know, decide to do this piece? And also, how did you go about sort of making the reduction from the orchestra to guitars? Oh. This is an arrangement from uh, our friend Stan Fonicelli. He's a composer, a musician from uh, Salt Lake City. 
and uh, he he actually did this piece for us because uh, there's no way I could have done that because he used the full orchestra score and then yeah. reduced it to three guitar parts. And along with that, we also during that time we uh, we moved away from the ovation guitars, which were very fine guitars, but they didn't have a lot of dynamics. And we had some custom built instruments uh, made for us by Irvin Samoji, and those guitars had a lot more. Uh, uh, dynamics in them. They were also bigger guitars. They were dreadnought guitars, and uh, they they were very suitable for this kind of more uh, dynamic music as well. Were they the uh, Were these the fan fretted instruments? Yes. Yeah. 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 We. This was during the the time when we were on tour with King Crimson, and we had been playing another arrangement of Stan's, the Toccata and Fugue in D minor from Bach, and, and that was a, a big hit on the, the these performances opening for King Crimson. But we wanted to give some variety instead of just playing that that particular classical piece every time. We wanted to come have uh, another major work uh, and... I remember asking Stan about this one, and he was very excited about it. He's a big Beethoven fan, and he came up with the arrangement. And our first performances of this piece were, I think, during that tour with King Crimson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe I saw you guys play this in a bookstore in Fort Worth, Texas. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we also played it in a in a. A burger, a, a burger place where they were fixing burgers right next to us, and yeah. I remember Paul announcing to the audience that this is probably the first time ever that uh, the Fifth Symphony, you know, the opening of the Fifth Symphony was played uh, next to burger grilling. Accompanied by grilling burgers. Yeah, accompanied by grilling burgers. Yeah, uh, <laughs> to the sound of sizzling and the smell of fries. Um, uh, awesome. Well, uh, let's just play this. This is uh, uh, the end of the Allegro con Brio, the first movement of Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 5.
Okay, so that was the Allegro con Brio uh, from Beethoven Symphony Number no. Five, and we're going to move to uh, our second excerpt of Beethoven. Uh, both of these excerpts are from your Pathways album, and yes. um, this one is the Adagio Sostenuto from the Moonlight Sonata, another uh, super famous, super iconic piece of Beethoven, and. Um, this is just, I don't know, just a very beautiful, uh, reverberated uh, recording. Um, and in almost more, it's interesting, you know, the, how you guys play this, because the mood of, of your recording is almost more grand than intimate. You know, a lot of the piano recordings you hear are, are be very, yeah. very intimate. Uh, this is a, almost a more grand kind of a profound feeling um there's a, a another really interesting aspect of of your recording in particular yeah you can kind of hear you know this was a later recording too so we switched first of all we switched to other guitars that were more had more acoustic uh, better sound as an instrument and then combined with that you know that we recorded it with microphones uh and i think just overall you know because it was a few years later that I guess the quality of the recording was a little bit better. And we I remember recording this in a very dark space in Salt Lake City. It was a, like a little old theater. And we set up speakers behind us which through which we amplified the you know, the guitars as if we were playing live, but on a low volume. And we, we put microphones in front of the guitars but also in front of the speakers. And I think this really contributed to that kind of dark, moody sound. Mm. Of, of the maybe of the whole album yeah and this is also a, a circulation piece so you can hear the the chord the arpeggiated chords circulating amongst the three of us at the same time you have the melody and bass lines mm-hmm. coming in so the arrangement is more like a puzzle work arrangement mm-hmm. in that you you have the circulation happening and and then the melody and bass lines coming in over top of it so while we're playing the circulation we're also adding the the other notes in there at the appropriate times to to create those melody lines yeah and um it's you know we hear this piece so often you know it's one of those uh Mm -hmm. top five hits of classical music sure but it's man it's so nice to hear this piece I don't know, just done in this way and, and kind of nice to be reminded of why we hear this piece so much, you know, why this piece is such a masterpiece of music. Yep. You know, well, there's something about doing that, those, some of those pieces as a circulation, because you, you can't, you can't do it in the same, with the same intention when you're alone, when you're with three guys and you both, you all three kind of have a, get a sense of the piece and then you play it as a circulation. There's something more, than just the sum of its parts, and or just one player doing it. There's more of a, there's more magic in there. I think somehow. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. All right, so let's hear it. Um, the Adagio Sostenuto, Sostenuto, excuse me, from Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata.
Okay, so let's move on to excerpt number eight, the Adagio Opus 11 of Samuel Barber. This is also from your Pathways CD. And um, we're jumping ahead about, I don't know, 120 years or so from the last one um, (laughs) on the timeline of music history. Um, This piece was originally composed by Barber as the second movement of his string quartet in 1936, and it didn't appear in the more famous version for string orchestra until two years later in 1938. Um, It became super famous really in the 1980s um, when it was used in Platoon, Oliver Mm -hmm. Stone's Platoon film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, up until this time, you know, I've never heard it done on on plucked string instruments. It's always been done by sustained instruments, string instruments. Mm -hmm. Um, Barber himself did a choir arrangement uh, and retitled it Agnus Dei. But uh, it works really well for guitars. So anything you guys want to say about this one? Well, again, here, you know, in in order to make up for the lack of sustain, the the circulation has some powerful element in there, you know, that that makes up for the lack of the sustain of the instrument. So, uh, also, I could kind of imagine hearing this piece played uh, on on a keyboard, for instance, just with the sustained note. So. It's one of the things that we like to do with the trio in the classical pieces is just kind of strip it down to its bare bones and and then you really find out if you know if what this piece is all about you know uh, and I think that has to do with with this arrangement too well so this one is done in a very similar way that we did the the moonlight sonata mm-hmm. uh, with except for its much more complex with the in the way the arrangement. I re, I recall that Stan Funicelli had done an initial arrangement of this piece, but then when we got a hold of it, I remember Bert reworking the whole thing to, this, to, yeah. to make it make it work. Yeah, this is the most complicated arrangement I've ever done for the trio. <laughs> it's because uh, it, wow. Stan sent me yeah, Stan sent me a very uh, a direct. A transcript of you pretty much the score you know divided in three parts but it the lines each player would play the line by himself there would be one player and then the next player would respond or something and I, I wasn't satisfied with that I felt we should do the whole everything circulated uh, the problem with that is it's not a, you know like in the prelude circulation by Bach where you have just each first note of a bar is, is a bass note and all the rest is just simple lines. This is lines and chords all mixed up together in right. irregular fashion. So uh, it, it was a really complex one. I remember working on it for weeks and weeks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, have you guys subsequently done this live or is it just sort of... Oh, we've, yeah. Yeah, we've played it live on occasion. Maybe it's time we... Yeah. bring it out again but we have played it <laughs> yeah. live on occasion it takes quite, it's not an easy one to play for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so uh, let's hear this the Adagio Opus 11 of Samuel Barber
Okay, that was the Adagio Opus 11 of Samuel Barber. And we're going to move to Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. And, um, you know, I chose this because it's, you know, it's still definitely, I mean, this is in the sphere of classical music. It's, um, even though it's sort Mm -hmm. of, I think, seen as, I don't know, kind of precursor to New Age or something. Um, And it's interesting because uh, my first introduction to this piece was, was through your version. I mean, I, um, I, you know, I'd never, (laughs) I admit I'd never heard of Michael, of Mike Oldfield or this album. I mean, it just slipped under my, it just slipped under my radar. I think I was just, um, you know, it was released the year I was born and it just somehow slipped under my radar, you know? Um, and, uh, so I had heard your version before I'd actually heard the original version. And, Great. Um, yeah, yeah. So you guys, you know, as far as Mike Oldfield is concerned, you know, you, you turned, uh, have had someone discover his music through what you guys did. So um, that was uh, really cool. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, a, a kind of another interesting thing about this album is it launched Virgin Records, literally. Um, launched Virgin Re- Virgin Records, um, and uh, a couple things about this piece. Um, you know what? Why did you choose this piece? And then I wanted you to to kind of talk about some of the. Is there some kind of MIDI processing as well on the guitars? Well, maybe to start with the beginning, the the opening riff of the piece is something that I mean, it's so recognizable and it's also very much like a lot of the things that we used to play when we were studying with Robert Fripp it's like a very typical one of those patterns that we would be practicing all day you know it's it's an irregular pattern it's funny that kind of got us started on it yeah it's funny that you say that because when I first heard this piece and again I I I didn't know (laughs) when I first heard this piece I just thought it was something you guys had wrote had written And um, it is so close, you know, and especially when you play it on guitars, you know, it's so close to what you'll hear on Discipline. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yes. I just thought, oh, this is something, you know, that that this just, you know, they inspired by their work with Robert Fripp or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it sounds very close to that. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those patterns, uh, the odd time signature patterns of you know, straight to eight notes or sixteenth notes that that when played in an odd sequence, it creates a very unusual loop and and feel that's very distinctive to a lot of the things that Robert does. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the, is there, I mean, I don't know if I'm correct here, but is there some MIDI or something on the guitars at one point? We're using our Roland effects pedals on that to create a lot of the sounds that you're hearing, but there's, so there's a lot of guitar effects going on uh, to create the, the different tones, but we also have quite a few guests playing on this one, especially at the end. Tony Levin is playing his uh, cello, his electric cello, and um, there is uh, our friend who lives in Vienna, um, uh, Pamelia Kirsten, Kirsten, is playing the theremin uh, on the very end. So the oh, end section just... The end section builds up and up. So along with the the guitar effects pedals, there's quite a few other instruments that are are added along to this one. 
Okay, great. Um, so uh, anything else you guys want to add before I play it? But I think one of the reasons we chose this piece is just because it did fit so well in the style of our our plane. And what it is a very iconic piece for, um, like you were talking about, how it's kind of a transitional piece. I mean, I, I don't care for the term New Age, but it kind of helped start that style. It was one of those early pieces, our, our minimalist piece. It's a very minimalist mm-hmm. piece in, in, a, in a way. And... Uh, it lent itself to our style and it, it had a lot of uh, connections that were that made sense for us and you know a lot of people know it from the the scary movie the the exorcist but it, <laughs> i think a lot of those people who do know only know it from that only know those opening bars and don't know mm-hmm. what a nice piece of music it actually is Okay, so we just heard Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, and we're going to move on to Estonian composer Arvo Pert, his Fratres. I, th- I think I'm saying yeah. that right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Arvo Pert was born in Estonia in 1935, and he wrote the first versions of this piece in 1977, which I think the first versions were for a string quintet and wind quintet. But since then, I mean, this this thing has been arranged for pretty much any combination of instruments you can yeah. possibly think of. Yeah. Um, this version that you guys did, um, this drone in the beginning, uh, is this played with ebos? Uh, uh, let's how see. is this done? For that recording, I think Hideo had... He had a synth. Uh, it, he used a synth. It, it was a guitar guitar synthesizer on, okay. on the low end. I remember doing it live with an Ebo, so that's interesting oh, that yeah? you mentioned oh. that. So when we played it live, 
I had a looping pedal and would create the drone with an e-ball. Right, right. Uh, but, yeah. but when we did it for the recording, I think Hideo had a guitar synthesizer patch that he was, was using. Yeah, and um, I actually pulled two excerpts that I'm going to play just back-to-back. Um, the first excerpt is, is from the very beginning of the piece to kind of demonstrate to the listener how this piece progresses because basically it's um, this chord progression first presented in harmonics in the guitars um, and then when the progression is over you have this uh, rhythmic motive and then the next section comes in which is pretty much the same chord progression um, but sort of reorchestrated um, uh, in a sort of louder version uh, and then you get the uh, you know rhythm again and then reorchestrated again and so I have these two excerpts you know from the beginning and then from the end uh, yeah so this is a, a really profound piece I mean uh, how did you guys come across this particular piece I think I don't know if Paul was there with me but I was in uh, Berlin uh, yes I East was there you were we there. were there at Mark our Ernans, at Ernan's apartment in Berlin. Indeed, yeah. So we, we were there on a guitar craft course in, in Berlin, and uh, during a day off, we, we visited a friend of ours, and he, he had this album at home, and he, he put it on, and we were all just hanging out and, and listening to it, and it was just mind-blowing album. It's a beautiful uh, album. I think uh, Keith Jarrett plays on that, too. Uh, there's, that a, there's one of the versions with with yeah. him playing on it. Yeah, and there's different violins, musicians. Yes. Yeah, so. and uh, yeah, there's another version of that piece as well with him on it. But uh, this this one was uh, that I heard was just all, all shallows, and uh, I checked out the score for this piece, and it uses a lot of harmonics. And then I was thinking, well, we're using the same tuning as a cello on our guitars, plus. We could play harmonics too, so <laughs> there we go. <laughs> right, and uh, we played the entire piece and recorded the entire piece, but it was too long. And uh, our uh, producer uh, for that album, Invitation, our producer David Singleton, did a very tasteful uh, selection of of all the variations that he liked, and he put it together in a slightly condensed uh, form. And I think that's the form that we've been using uh, ever since when we performed the piece as well. Mm-hmm. The, to to fill in a little bit on the story, Arvo uh, Pert, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, mm-hmm. uh, Pert, Pert, something, uh, Bert, do you know the right pronunciation of his last Pert. name? Yeah, Pert. Okay, there Pert. we go. So there, there's a, a guy from Estonia named Robert Jurgendal, and he was interested in coming on one of the Robert Fripp guitar courses, but he had no money. So he contacted Arvo Pert and essentially asked for like a grant to help him pay for the, his course. And he, uh, the uh, our friend that lived in Berlin, was the registrar for these courses. And Robert uh, Jurgendal had sent this this CD to Ernan saying, "This is the guy who oh. paid my way." on the Robert Fripp guitar course and that's he pulled it out and for us to hear so I remember sitting on Hernan's bed in his apartment in Berlin and he put put that album on and when this piece came on it brought me to tears it was had such a profound Mm. 
influence on me, and I was I I I loved it so much. And when after we made the CGT arrangement of it, you know, we we play in just about every kind of venue imaginable, and this piece is so has so much space and mm-hmm. and silence between the notes. I have some very funny memories of us being in Italy in these really loud, raucous <laughs> venues where people are just talking and going crazy, and we're playing this piece that has this long silence. silence. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, that's a that's an incredible story, an incredible thing that Parrot did for this person. Wow! I, I, yeah, I, yeah, it's amazing. Well, okay, let's let's hear Perth's piece. This is uh, "Fratres" by Estonian Arvo Perth. Thank you. 
Okay, guys, we are to our last excerpt that we're going to play on the show. And um, this is the title music from the documentary John Adams, or the miniseries, I guess, sort of, of on John Adams that HBO did, uh, composed by Rob Lane. And has uh, this even been released? No, no, we haven't released no. this at all. No. no, we have never released it. And I don't know if Rob Lane has ever, I mean, with the exception of its use in the soundtracks for these movies, I don't know if there's it's appeared on any specific album yet. So um, I feel a bit, you know, evil playing this. Oh, no, yeah, that's fine. Play it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why would you feel evil? Oh, you know, like this? evil in a good way, like he 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 he, you know. But like you're um, the only one who has this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's a it's a great piece. Um, and uh, I have to ask, you know, who arranged this, and how on earth did you? I don't know. Decide to to do this. Uh, oh boy! Well, I I was a big fan of the series. I I watched uh, the whole John Adams uh, six DVDs of the whole story, and I I, I really l- loved it. And and every time you know it comes on, you hear this music, and this music was great. But it was very short, and it went along with this cool introduction of the you know the the the, the early American founders you know when they they were fighting and they had this snake cut up in the flag with the snake that was all cut up and it was very in- brilliantly done uh, introduction as well that went along with the music way uh, great and i love the the imagery of the music because it's it really uh, evokes a battlefield for me like a war uh, or a battlefield because you hear this this kind of uh, it's it's all done on violin in the beginning this this little team right and it, it's like somebody's approaching, you know, and then, then there's a, a battle. And then it, after the battle, you know, people are dead and whatever. And then uh, <laughs> then you just hear this little lonely tune again in the end. And uh, recently we we were uh, on tour a couple of weeks ago. And we visited one of those places in uh, in Wyoming. Uh, it was Custer's. Montana. Battle, uh, Montana, Montana, I'm sorry. Uh, where uh, Custer lost the, the battle against the Indian and Indians and that that kind of uh, visiting a place like that you kind of really get get that imagery and that that sense of that music where that came from uh, uh, you know and some call it maybe maybe a little bit like patriotic music or whatever but I don't really care the music itself is great and, and evokes that kind of sentiment and, and yeah. we, ne- we have never done a piece like that before either so there's a uh, you guys took a picture of this right on Paul's blog you can go yeah, see a, yeah. Yeah. Little, pic- Bighorn. Yeah, yeah, Little Bighorn yeah yeah you can go actually see the grave of uh, Custer and, um, and listen and while you're looking at the picture on my <laughs> uh, on the website you can listen to this piece <laughs> exactly you can get the whole immersive experience um <laughs> And uh, you know the the if you haven't heard the original piece, um, you should really go and listen to it on YouTube, uh, because you know, like Bert said, it starts with this uh, melody in the violin, but it's you know it's a, more of a kind of fiddle presentation, I would say. Yeah. And then at the end, you know, you hear the melody again, violin. I think it's coupled with like fife or something um, mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, 
which is a, again, you know, very sort of period to that time, you know, in American mm-hmm. history. But I think the guitars uh, really convey that as you get the same sense, you know, with the the guitars. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, that's it. Um, I want thank to... you, Tony. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you guys it. so much for coming on. Um, uh, thank you both, Paul and Bert. Uh, is there before you go? Is there anything you want to pimp, plug, mention? Well, it's it's interesting that you you came up, you know, with this interview and with the choice of your uh, classical pieces, and uh, because uh, Paul and I have been talking. And also with Hideo, we've been mentioning uh, a, a new release sometime uh, of maybe doing a classical album, just an entirely classical album, and combining some of our uh, classic arrangements with some some maybe new stuff that we can arrange for the guitar, and then just do a release or as a project, you know, of of that kind of music. So it's uh, encouraging to see that you selected all these pieces and that they they seem to make sense all together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if you guys, um, I, I saw that um, you're starting to do some handle arrangements, Bert. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I started doing that, I, uh, but to kind of give up on the idea in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> but there's other. Yeah, it's just you know, you you do things and then you drop them and then you pick them up again later or you try something else. That's that's all part of the process. Well, I guess. one one interesting thing that we're working on right now is uh, there's a, a arrangement of Vivaldi Winter that we're going to be performing oh, with nice. Farid Farid Hawk. Are you familiar with Farid Hawk? Yes. Well, can you tell the the listeners who that is? Yeah. Yeah, Farid is a, an amazing guitarist from Chicago. I, I'd say he's like the American John McLaughlin. And he is such a diverse player, and he he's well versed in classical music and world music and and jazz. And uh, it's he it, we uh, met him a year or two ago when we did a concert with him in in Cincinnati, and we've been keeping in touch with him since then. And 
we're going to be playing two concerts with them in uh, our upcoming tour in March. And uh, we're doing this arrangement of uh, Winter where he plays all the super fast uh, virtuoso stuff and we can uh, provide kind of the orchestral backing accompaniment to it so oh, that very should be nice. very yeah very interesting yeah yeah i can i can totally see how that particular movement of the four seasons would would work really well uh for guitars so and, and definitely you know if you guys put out an album of classical music uh maybe you know you can come back on the show and we can talk about that absolutely yeah all right well, thank you tony awesome thank, thank you, you very guys much. Thanks, Tony. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's All the Cool Parts Idol. And uh, what I've usually uh, what I've started doing with All the Cool Parts Idol is taking pieces that people have submitted and trying to play them on shows that I think are kind of appropriate or have something to do with the music that has been submitted. Um, kind of like last week. Uh, when I interviewed David T. Little from Newspeak, and I played the piece by Carl Schimmel. Uh, so those two pieces, or that piece of his kind of related to what I did. This week, I didn't have anything guitar, and I really wanted to uh, play something guitar. I didn't have anything, so guitarists, uh, people that listen to this show know that I do a lot of guitar stuff because admittedly I'm a guitarist and have a bias towards guitar and I like it. So I tend to do a lot of shows on uh, guitar stuff. So this week uh, what I thought I'd do is I've never done this before and I I sort of debated whether I should do it or not. I still feel kind of weird doing it. Uh, Maybe it's not right doing it. I don't know. But um, I thought I would play a piece of mine and uh, it's a piece for guitar that I wrote about a year ago and I recorded about a couple of months ago. And uh, it's part of my series of etudes for classical guitar. Now, if you're not familiar with what an etude is, an etude is a piece of music that's been written to work some kind of technical issue on an instrument. And you can go back and look at... Uh, you know, tons of etudes written by Chopin, people like this for piano, that, that they're pieces of music. So basically, you know, it's something that's a little more exciting than just sitting there working on the raw technical issue, which can be boring, right? So you want to um, have a cool piece of music that you can play that will also uh, work on this whatever technical issue that you're that you're working on um, on your instrument. And uh, so I'm writing a series of etudes for classical guitar, and this one is the third etude in the series that I wrote, and uh, I recorded it a few months ago, and I I liked it. I like how the recording came out, and I thought I'd play it for you guys. So here it is, etude number three for classical guitar by me. Thank you. 
Hey, performers, performing ensembles, and composers, All the Cool Parts podcast wants your music for All the Cool Parts Idol. If you're an emerging artist with a good quality recording and you'd like All the Cool Parts podcast to share it with the world, please email sound files and other details to allthecoolparts at gmail.com. Help me share your music with the world. And that is it for All the Cool Parts number 23. I want to thank Paul Richards and Bert Loms again for coming on the show and having such a great conversation with me about music because that's what I do. I talk about music. Um, If you want to email the show and ask me questions and give me comments and tell me that I play too much guitar music, um, email me at allthecoolparts at gmail.com. You can look at the show notes at allthecoolparts.blogspot.com. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Anthony Landman. And you can go to my website at anthonyjosephlandman.com. And I'm going to leave you guys with another excerpt from the Classical Guitar Trio. Classical Guitar. The California Guitar Trio. Um, <laughs> playing sort of classical music. This is from their uh, Christmas album. And uh, it's almost Christmas coming up. And uh, this would be a great album to get for Christmas. Uh, I recommend you do that. And this is Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence of the California Guitar Trio. And we will see you guys next time. Merry Christmas. Later. Later.